Father in heaven, thank you for this community. Thank you for the changing weather. Thank you for December. Thank you for uh, just the beauty um, of this city. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, giving us the ability to be here to worship you. And, and I just want to make um, just a, an announcement of where we're at, Jesus, and because I know that some of us are still trying to figure out our relationship with you. Others of us are happy to be here. Others of us are just like trying to hold it together in our brains and try to stay sane. So I would just ask Jesus that you would honor that we're here. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us courage to believe what's true, not hold against people the way it's said, but listen for the truth, and that we would take it and uh, we would um, apply it to our lives in this week. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen. All right. So we are in um, what is called Advent, which means coming, which is a time in the church calendar when we all anticipate the birth of Jesus. So we spend a lot of time, usually in the church calendar, before Christmas, just kind of thinking about the birth of Jesus and the prophecies and all of that. Normally the village does that. But this year, because we were going through the Gospel of Mark, we decided not to do that. And so instead, oddly enough, as we near Jesus' birth, we will be studying Jesus' death. So we even thought maybe we should have a more morbid Christmas. No. Uh, played more depressing music than we already play. Um, no, it, it's, it's just going to be a little bit more interesting because we're going to be studying Jesus in kind of the last part of his life on earth. Um, so, but what we've been doing as we've been going through this series, which I guess is now called Stand Up, because um, that's what it says up there, is it's kind of broken down into what I would call, uh, it's like a discipleship course, right? And so the last, I guess, five weeks or so, or six weeks, we have been doing Discipleship 101. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And, there, and the course is basically works like this. The first part of our course was, you got to get up, right? Getting up has to do with you sitting in a passive place in a passive identity, and now, being called by Jesus, you stand up, you take his identity on you, and now everything that you do and are is subject to your identity in Christ. Okay, so that's your primary thing. But then Rod spent three weeks basically in deconstruction. So it's get up and then deconstruct. Deconstructing your preconceived notions about who God is and how he's going to respond to you and how you ought to respond. So it's get up, deconstruct, and then sit down, right? Because you started out sitting down in this passive identity, and now, after you've deconstructed things, it's time to sit down in your new identity in a feast with Jesus. And then last week, kind of the end of Discipleship 101, Julie put forward a question that really is a question that comes from you sitting down, because sitting down was sitting down to rest, to, to enjoy what Jesus has offered you in this new identity, Right? She asked you, what is it that you need to let go of so that you can rest? What is it that you need to let go of? Right? And she talked about the rich young ruler. So this week, we're starting Discipleship 102. And we're going to start in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 11, 
But before we get there, I want to tell you what the course is. Let me give you an overview of the syllabus. Right? Discipleship 102 has three things that you need to take note of. It is about faith, it is about prayer, and it is about forgiveness. Okay? Over the next few weeks, the things that we're going to talk about and the things that we're going to zero in on are faith, prayer, and forgiveness. Right? So we're in chapter 11 of Mark. So if you don't know where Mark is, it's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark. Um, and it's a gospel. And a gospel means victories or good news. So we're reading about the victories and the good news of Jesus. So let me set the stage for you really quickly as to what we're going to, because we're going to start in verse 11. But there are 10 verses before verse 11. And what it is, is this really cool moment in Jesus' life when he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey with people singing and waving palms and saying, Hosanna, God save us. And they're saying all this good stuff about him. Right? And it's this really cool moment. Now, anytime a person rides into a city on a colt and everyone's paying attention and cheering him on, he's some kind of king. Right? But when you ride in on a donkey, you're coming in as peace. You're coming in peacefully. This is not a war. Right? But it is, for Jesus, an establishment of the beginning of something new. Now, I want to, as we begin to talk about things, I want you to realize that Jesus is always intentional, right? He's always intentional about what he does and how he does it. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 11. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, just to kind of give you a sense of this, Jesus is camped out in Marana. He rode a donkey into downtown Tucson, but by the time he got there, nothing was happening on Congress because it was a Tuesday. And so he just meandered on home, right? But when he did this, he looks around to see what's going on in the temple. He kind of started taking stock of things. Now, I've been watching Longmire. Anybody watching Longmire? Let's just get a Longmire fan vote right here. Okay, there's a few Longmire people in here. I, I love Longmire. It's on Netflix. It's over. This is the last season. But in there, in the middle of this season, there's a scene where Longmire, who's a sheriff, and his partner have to go meet somebody. And they go there 12 hours early. And the partner's like, why are we here 12 hours early? And he says, well... A lot of Native Americans, a lot of warriors will show up to a meeting sometimes three days early, either to ambush people or to make sure nobody's going to ambush them or to make sure that everything is set up right at the meeting. Right? Jesus is doing the same thing. He's headed into the temple to check things out because he's got some things he's going to do, and he needs to make sure they're okay. Now, he's intentional. You and I, like for me, I have a different intention when it goes to check things out. I have a lot of anxiety, and, and when it was really bad and I had to go to a meeting, sometimes I'd go to the same building like three times, and I, like, I'd go in the door, and I'd walk out of the door, and I'd park my car in different places, and then I'd drive away, because I'm trying to get myself comfortable with the space. Jesus isn't doing that. I don't think he's doing that. He's checking things out to see what's going on. Then he goes back to Bethany. The next day, 
As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you. Again, and his disciples heard him say it. Now there's a couple things that are going on here. And one of them is Jesus is not hangry, okay? Like he didn't get up in, in the morning, not get his bagel and coffee, and think, oh, there's some figs, and there's no figs, and I'm going to curse this tree. So it's a couple things that I just want you to take note of that happen in this. Number one is that it's a very leafy tree, so it's presenting like it's healthy. Number two is that his disciples notice that he cursed the tree. So he didn't walk up to the tree and just mutter something under his breath. He made sure all the disciples could hear that he just cursed a tree, right? Because this is not one of his normal modes. Like we don't have whole books written on how to, you know, five steps to follow Jesus and curse trees. Like that's not like part of the deal, right? So, so he curses the tree and the disciples note it and they move on. They move on. And I just moved on. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, I want you to remember, the second part of following Jesus is faith, prayer, and forgiveness. These are the keys to walking with Jesus. These are kind of narrowing things down, going down. Faith, prayer, forgiveness. Now, my chemistry teacher, when I was in high school, would light a match every single beginning of the class and he would let it burn for a while and he would look around and kind of in an ominous voice he would say all of chemistry is in the lighting and burning of a match right he was trying to be dramatic right he wanted to and then he would teach us about chemistry i don't remember anything about chemistry but i can tell you that all of chemistry <laughs> right right so we remember those moments that are, are really dramatic, right? We remember the moments that are really dramatic. Now, Jesus enters into the temple, and he starts throwing some, some things over, and he won't let anybody move around, right? Now, the temple is the center of all Hebrew worship. This is where faith is nurtured, prayer happens, and forgiveness is administered. Right? This is where it's supposed to be happening. And, and that makes sense. It's very difficult for us to understand those concepts alone. There has to be a place to gather. And for the Israelites, this is the place you go. Now, without giving you a huge explanation of the temple, it's just broken down into some courts, right? So there's a court of the Gentiles, there's a court of the women, the court of the men, the court of the priests, the Holy of Holies. It's in all of these different little courts. 
Now, the court of the Gentiles is a very important place because it's where everybody who was not a Hebrew could come and worship God and see how God was worshipped. Okay? And this is where all the money changers are. Now, this is important to understand because what was happening was is you couldn't go in and buy animals for sacrifices if you traveled a far distance with Roman money because that was unclean. So you had to exchange the Roman money for temple bucks. Once you got the temple bucks, then you could buy the sacrifice. But what had happened in there, as things had gotten so busy and so crazy, that if you were somebody who was just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, how to have faith, how to pray, and how to forgive, what you would find is two things in here. One is that it seemed that everybody was about money and their own thing, right? Money and their own thing. But the other thing that, that Jesus says is that these are, there are these robbers, like you've turned this place into a robber's den. Now the language that he uses there about this robber's den is he's making a reference to the road to Damascus, which is this crazy road, like, and you're going to get robbed if you walk on it unless you go with an armed escort. So he's saying it's gotten dangerous. So if you come to worship God, you most likely are going to get abused and robbed, right? So the thing that you're going to experience is not faith and prayer and forgiveness, but abuse and robbery. But the words he also uses there are words for revolution. This is a den of revolutionaries. So not only has this temple been turned into a place of abuse and robbery, but they have nationalized the temple. Meaning in the courts, men and women are planning to overturn the Roman Empire. That sedition is happening, right? So when you, when you walk into the temple, what you're going to experience instead of faith, prayer, and forgiveness is that you're going to experience abuse, you're going to experience robbery and revolution. That's what you're going to think following Jesus is all about. So Jesus acts dramatically. Now you need to understand something, that, that Jesus is changing things, right? Because the temple was the center of worship. And guess what? What Jesus is doing is now saying, no longer is it the center of worship. I'm going to be the center of worship, right? And he does something dramatic to turn that up. So a little side note to Discipleship 102 that all of you know to be true if you are a follower of Jesus is that Jesus likes to disrupt your life when you won't listen, right? When you're having a hard time going on the path, when you're having a hard time getting up, when you're having a hard time deconstructing the way you understand Jesus, when you're having a hard time resting, when you're having a hard time saying, I'm going to let go, and you've got your fist like this, Jesus has no problem turning over your tables. But there's another thing. He wouldn't let anybody pass through. Well, because you could go through the temple to the Mount of Olives. It was a shortcut. But there was laws. that The Jewish law said, no, you can't do that. And Jesus wouldn't let them. He said, you can't also have a shortcut. So, so being a disciple has a lot to do with having your life disrupted and turned around 
and not being able to do the shortcuts. Like you don't get to do the shortcut. So Jesus steps in. He does this dramatic thing. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. Now, if you think that Jesus was some kind of passive guy and that he accidentally died by the Romans' hands, then you're not reading the Gospels. From this moment on, I mean, there are moment, there's a part in Mark where it says that Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He was determined to give up his life. And now he's making a statement. He rides in as a king. He goes to the religious space. He turns things every, over. And he's basically saying, I'm now the one who gets to arbitrate what is holy and good. I'm it. I am reforming this thing because this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And so they leave and, the, and people begin to plan to kill him. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And if you notice in your text, there are two exclamation marks in there. Like, Peter is not like, oh, that's interesting, Jesus. You cursed that tree. He's like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, that was a green tree, and now that's a brown tree. Like, that, like decay isn't surprising to him how fast it happened. So he's like, this is something that Peter remembered. Because remember last week, uh, Julie said that these are probably just a construct of Peter's sermons. So Mark's writing them down. This is something that Peter remembered. These, these two events, this, this fig tree caught in between the temple. And, and I love this. Jesus did this thing, and then he uses it to begin to teach what it looks like to go deeper. Verse 22. To Peter's amazement, he says, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So the first thing Peter says is have faith. Now what really is faith? Well, I'm going to teach you a Greek word. It's one of my favorite Greek words. I teach 12-year-olds this word because it's like a swear word. The word for faith is pistis, right? So you can, you know, it's, it's like a kind of a swear word, but it means faith. I mean, it's, it's translated faith, but it just means believe or trust. But the unique thing about this word is what it means is more than just you believe something or you trust someone. It means intimate relationship with God. So anytime you read faith, it's talking about your intimate relationship with God. He's saying, have a relationship with God. So Peter's like, that's amazing that that happened. And Jesus is like, have a relationship with God. And then he says some crazy things about mountains. So he says, if you have enough faith, you can tell a mountain to go be in the sea, and it will. And if you don't doubt, it's going to do it. So as a young person, I thought, does that mean that I can go to Mount Lemon, and if I believe enough and I think hard enough, I can say, oh, Mount Lemon, be cast into the Atlantic Sea. And, and all of a sudden, people would look up and like, wow, Eric had a lot of faith. Look at the mountain. It's going, right? Like, 
No, in fact, the disciples aren't like, what are you talking about? Because rabbis would say this all the time. A mountain wasn't a literal mountain. It was the big problem in your life that doesn't seem like it could move. Rabbis talked about this all the time. And so what he's saying is, if you have relationship with God, then the mountains in your life can be moved, even the ones that you don't think can be moved. The things that are in front of you that you think, I just can't do it, it can be done. Except then he puts this word in there, doubt. And I think, well, okay, that's why I can't move Mount Lemmon. Um, It's because I have doubt. But this word doubt doesn't mean you have some feeling inside of yourself where you're like, oh, that seems kind of not possible. That's not what he's talking about. Because everybody has that experience. Do you realize how ridiculous your faith is? Like, Do you realize how ridiculous it is that you are all gathered here and going to celebrate that the fact that the God of the universe decided that he would impregnate a young virgin woman and then he would grow for nine months. The God of the universe would grow in somebody's stomach and then be born? And it's actually very, it's a reasonable belief, but it's crazy. Don't ever think it's not crazy. It's miraculous And it's crazy. And if you don't ever think, huh, I'm not so sure that's true. If you don't ever have that feeling, then you don't have faith. If you're not, you're just like, ah, whatever, it seems like great. No, it it should, what Jesus is saying here about doubting and what this word actually means is to entertain a narrative, right? Or entertain a story. So what Jesus is saying is that when you face a problem in your life and you think, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if God can do this. And then you say, and here are all the reasons why he can't. And you begin to work that out. That's what doubting is. When you decide to walk in the opposite direction of God's power. And this happens in relationships, right? In marriage, if, you know, there are times with my wife where I'm not like, oh, this is great. I love being married after 20 years. It's wonderful, right? I don't have, you know, like, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't walk around in cloud nine all the time because there are problems in my marriage. Surprise, surprise, if you didn't know that, there are. But if I continue, but when I feel that, like say my wife hurt me or things are not working out or we're just not feeling it or whatever it is, and then I begin to entertain a narrative about how, it would be better somewhere else, about how she's always this way, about how we'll never be able to fix the problem because we always come around to this. Do you see the chasm that I'm building between her and I? That's what Jesus is saying when he's talking to Peter and the disciples. He's saying, hey, have a relationship with God. The things that are huge in front of you can be moved if you're willing to walk down a path where you are talking about how you believe that God can do these things and you are stepping into the way of Jesus instead of spending your time entertaining doubt and talking about the impossibility of things because that creates a gap in your relationship and then true doubt and fear enter in. So the first key to discipleship 102 is faith, an intimate relationship with God that can move mountains. Verse 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask 
for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So if you're going to have an intimate relationship with God, you have to do something that's really surprising. It's called talking, right? You cannot have a relationship with God if you never talk to God. It's not going to work. And what we call talking to God is prayer, right? It is prayer. So how does this work? What Jesus is saying is if you ask me for anything, you will, and believe it, you'll receive it. Well, what he's talking about is not that you can magically make Mount Lemon move. What he's talking about is that the more you talk to him, the more focused on the mountains, because Jesus knows the mountains are going to be there, you can be more focused on those and asking God to move them in the way that he wants you to move them, or he, in a way that is of the kingdom. Right? You begin this conversation with him. But how does that work? Well, number one, you can talk in your head. Right? How many of you pray in your head? Okay, some of you pray in your head. You can pray out loud. If you see me walking down Seneca sometimes, I'm muttering to myself. It's not me that I'm muttering to. I'm muttering to Jesus. I usually need to find a place where there's nobody is so I can talk really loud. I was here on Thursday yelling and screaming at God, but I was talking out loud to him, telling him what was going on, telling him about the mountains that I don't think can be moved. What happens when you talk to somebody is all of a sudden the doubt gets squeezed away, right? You begin to get in line with where God is. But it's not just talking in your head, talking with your mouth. You can write things down in a journal. You can write out prayers. But another part of praying is coming here saying the Lord's Prayer. Coming here saying the Apostles' Creed. Coming here and practicing. Those are ways of actually praying. Talking to one another. There are passages in the Old Testament that talk about how God listens to our conversations and records them and enjoys them. That's prayer. Especially when you're talking about him and what he's doing. So the second part of being a follower of Jesus in Discipleship 102 is you've got to pray. So it's faith, which is an intimate relationship, prayer, which is the way that you fuel that. But Jesus knows something. Jesus knows that when you begin to pray and when you begin to enter into an intimate relationship with him, you're going to be standing and praying, and guess what? everything that you don't like about everybody else is going to come up. And you're going to have to forgive. Because the core to the kingdom of God is having an intimate relationship, praying to God, and exercising forgiveness for those who've wronged you. Right? Forgiveness is at the core. That's what we receive from Jesus on the cross, and it's what we're called to give. Now what's really interesting in here is that what Jesus says is that we should, while we're praying, we should forgive other people so that Jesus can forgive, or God can forgive us. Seems kind of strange to me because I thought I was already forgiven. Like that I don't need to wait for Jesus to forgive me and make sure I forgive all the people correctly. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because here's what forgiveness, the word, means. It means divorce. It means to send away. So what Jesus is saying is as you pray and you remember how a particular person has wronged you, what he is asking you to do is divorce that wrong, to cast it away, 
to send it away. He's asking you to let go. Oddly, that's the key to following Jesus, letting go. But there's a reason that then he says, so God can forgive you. Because as you're praying, if you will not let go, guess what sin God will keep saying you need to deal with? Not forgiving other people. Like what he's saying is you and I can't talk. We can't move the mountains. We can't have an intimate relationship if you're unwilling to forgive people. You can't experience my forgiveness, my divorce of your sin, if you are unwilling to forgive. You're not going to experience it. There's not going to be intimacy. So it's, you see, it's this, this circle. The forgiveness leads us to our faith. Our faith is practiced through prayer, which leads us to forgiveness, which brings us back to an intimate relationship with God. That's discipleship 102. But what happens is, is that Jesus is saying, guess what? The temple's not the center of that anymore. Right? We know that Jesus died and rose from the dead and his spirit was poured out on us. And guess what? You're the temple. You are a house of prayer for the nations. You are an active temple wherever you go, offering faith, prayer, and forgiveness. Because Jesus was starting his own revolution, and he's inviting you into it. Now here's the hard thing. And I think it's the thing that I don't get a hold of, and I think you don't get a hold of. Is this is not a Sunday thing. You signed up to follow Jesus. If you signed up to follow Jesus, this is serious. It is your life. You are not a mechanic. You are not a massage therapist. You're not a chaplain. You're not anything other than a follower of Jesus. Yes, those things are beautifully expressed, but they're expressed through Jesus. This is a revolution, a revolution about relationship, prayer, and forgiveness. And it's not easy. A lot of times we think, oh, it's no. Jesus wants everything, and he's willing to turn your life upside down because you're a temple. So if you've gotten up, get ready to be disrupted. Now, I want to go back to that fig tree in Mark 11, the beginning, verse 12, and reread it to you. The next day, As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing it in the distance, a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. The fig tree is accepted In Old Testament writings, the fig tree represents Israel. And what Jesus is saying is Israel looks good. The temple looked good. Herod's temple was awesome. It was beautiful. It was blinding. It looks good. But when you get close, there's nothing. What is there? All there is is abuse and robbery and rebellion. Right? Those are the mountains that sit in our life. And Jesus is willing to be dramatic to bring about faith, prayer, and forgiveness in your life. So, to begin this course 102 in discipleship, my simple invitation to you tonight is, where, where are you holding on to abuse, 
robbery, and rebellion in your life? Where is it where you're holding on? I think the theme of Mark for us this year is that we are people tight-fisted. And Jesus wants to pry our fists. And I, as your pastor, am giving you a warning. You don't want to be cursed. Right? I'm not saying that cursed and everything's going to die in your life. I'm saying it in a metaphoric way. You do not want to be cursed, and you do not want to have your tables turned over. Right? It's disruptive. Jesus is inviting you to move your mountains by submitting. And mountains move, the ones you think they can't move, not by focusing on them, but by forgiving. So maybe a better question tonight is who's God asking you to forgive that you don't want to forgive? So, just in case you haven't forgotten, oh, digital watch. Thank you. I have some time for questions then. Anybody have any questions, thoughts, responses? Whoa, one in the back corner. Oh, and here comes my very athletic mic man. So the fig tree. Yes, ma'am. It wasn't fig season. Why would, like, isn't that not very merciful? What did Jesus expect from that tree? That fig tree? Well, and, there, and that's the problem with the fig tree, is that there's a lot of debate about the fig tree. It has two kinds of fruit. So it's just supposedly, even though it's a little not in season, there should have been some kind of fruit. Um, but I would say that Jesus, I wouldn't read too much into it. It's a parable. Jesus is making a point. He is about to go disrupt the center of Jewish culture, and he wants his disciples to pay attention to it. So I think that would probably be where... I think my response to that is like, well, our season of like being nice to each other should be year-round. <laughs> so we should be... I don't know what, you ha- what that's called in horticulture, but... <laughs> we should always ha- have fruit. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, anybody else? Oh, we got one up here in the front. I'm actually not sure how to process, or I'm still processing this, but just the whole, uh, I'm, com- I'm coming from a charismatic background, or part of me is, I'm a hybrid person, but when in those circles, it's like if you don't, like for anything, for healing, or for whatever it might be, if you don't have if you lack faith, then, so then sometimes the focus is like on you. You didn't have enough faith. And then you're caught in this trap of like, always like thinking, oh, I didn't have enough faith to move the mountain. I don't, do you have like a response to that as far as? Yes. Because my experience of when they say you don't have enough faith is that you're trying to conjure up some magical experience in your heart then and in your mind to get enough faith. But they don't have any steps for that. But Jesus has some steps for you to have more faith. It's just a step in for forgiveness. The other thing is, is that we always have the optimal thing. We want to have some healing. It's usually an external thing. We need this bill paid. We need to be healed of this. You know, we've had cancer for a long time. Um, in some ways, it's we're looking for the magic moment. And I don't think Jesus, that's not about faith. Ma- Jesus, the magic moments happen for a purpose and for a direct, like, because God wants to make a statement um, about his love. Go ahead. No. When your mountains are not moving, yes. you can correlate that to what? 
Well, I think what I would hear Jesus saying in this, uh, without, you know, it's a very short passage, but what I hear him saying is that when your mountains aren't moving, you need to press into me and change your narrative about why they're not moving, that God isn't faithful to you, that he doesn't care, that he's not involved in your life. Because what those do is they create this gap, and then, yeah, you don't have enough faith. But having enough faith means you're not in relationship with God because all you have is doubt with him, like you have a negative narrative. The invitation from Jesus is, yeah, I'm going to move the mountain, but mountains are actually really big. <laughs> they take time. I think his acknowledgement of the mountain is that we just all, or they, we have them. They're going to happen. We're human. We're broken. Anybody out, anyone else can respond to that? Over here. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. Thank you, Mike. Um, faith and prayer are really difficult and uh, there's a lifelong struggle with those and I have not conquered either one of those I rely on that I look at it that God's got enough faith to carry me through and I just struggle with prayer and if I'm struggling with prayer, I'm still doing it. Yes. So it's, I'm just doing what I, what's necessary. Yes. And God's going to carry me through. Right. Yes. Kevin. So when you say struggling with faith, Ron, it, kind of juxtaposes to what I hear from Eric when he says that faith is actually just intimacy. It's relationship. It's when you experience anything with with Jesus, you're moving in faith. There's nothing to conquer. There's just something to move deeper and deeper into. I apologize if my questions are too general, so let me know. But um, <laughs> it's okay. It, if I'm feeling unsettled or disrupted, how do I know whether it's an attack from the enemy or Jesus overturning my tables? Well, Jesus always directly deals with your sin. So if you're having your tables turned over, they're usually because it's your sin that he's dealing with. The enemy deals with your identity. Jesus will never attack your identity. I've found when God's like correcting me, he always says, it, like I've, I'll feel really bad about something, but he's always like gives me the hope, but now you can do this and when it's satan it's just oh my gosh i'm horrible and there's nothing else but when it's god he always provides me hope or a way through it or a way to fix it good anybody else thoughts nope back there in the corner one last question I'm 
wondering if you can talk about forgiving someone who's really hurt you, who feels like an unsafe person to be in relationship with, and what forgiveness looks like in that. Like, do you step out in faith and enter back in? Or I'm sure it could look different from situation to situation. Makes me wonder about, like, the heart part of the forgiveness, or I don't know if you could, like, shed some light on that. Well, Ezra's got some opinions on that. Um, so I, I think, yes. I guess I'll answer it two ways. One, for Lent, we're going to actually dissect forgiveness. So, for Lent, yes. So Lent is coming up, you know, next year, and we're going to spend time working on forgiveness. We're actually just going to give it up. But, yeah, anyway, that's a bad <laughs> joke. Sorry. But here's the other thing. I think forgiveness is not talking about how you re-enter into people's relation, in relationship with people. He's talking about an experience in the moment of prayer and have, are you holding on to it or have you, are you going to cast it away? Because a lot of times what happens is what you will cause is another gap. If it doubt causes a gap, that narrative, what causes a gap is when you begin to think about what somebody's done to you. And then instead of talking to Jesus while you're praying, you're having a conversation with them and you're telling them what you think about what they did. And then and all of a sudden now you're having a, a, a dark relationship with them and not a holy relationship with God. So, yeah, I don't think it's so much about re-entering. There are some ways of re-entering with people and sometimes people are dangerous and we, you can forgive them and then you don't need to be involved with them. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this community, for their wisdom. Um, Thank you for showing up and uh, transforming us. I just ask that you would bless the rest of our time together. Amen.